All right. Am I on? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning. Glad that uh, we can be together here this morning. Uh, please pray with me one more time, and we'll, we'll continue. Well, Lord, we are thankful for a chance to be together this morning. And, uh, boy, just with the theme of some of these songs we've sung here, with the scripture that's been read, with, with Joel's welcome this morning, I just, uh, I'm reminded of amazing hope that we have in you, Christ. Uh, and from that Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is our hope. Uh, Lord, help us to be occupied with that hope this morning uh, as we move into now this part of our time together. Um, and now, Lord, as we do move into an opportunity here for the sermon, just ask for special help to be led by you this morning. Help us to hear from you uh, through your word now and be led along by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, you've probably heard it said, this is, um, seems a little counterintuitive, but I think this is true. You've probably heard it said that a, a dull blade is, is more dangerous than a sharp one, right? You've probably heard this, so maybe with an axe, uh, a dull axe as you're chopping wood, or a, a dull knife as you're trying to work through some food. Um, I think statistically it's true that uh, a dull blade is more dangerous than a sharp one. And that's because, uh, and I think I know we've got some culinary artists in the room, uh, but I think that's because you're using more force with this dull blade and the blade doesn't really grab very well and so it can kind of glance off your food or if you're using an axe, you can kind of glance off the log and it can catch a shin or catch a toe or something or catch a finger if you're using a blade. So um, that's not a very good uh, scenario. Something needs to be done there. And uh, Ecclesiastes 10, verse, verse 10, you might be familiar with this little uh, proverbial saying, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. In other words, I think in this case, wisdom sharpens the blade, right? So it's just instead of uh, continuing to pound away uh, with a dull blade, having to add more force to it, taking a, a risk that you're going to glance off and hurt something, do some harm, wisdom says, no, uh, don't just work harder, don't just put more back into it, don't just put more wrist into it, sharpen the blade, work smarter, not necessarily um, harder, sharpen the blade. And uh, that's what I want to do this morning. That's what I want to try to do, at least here just at the, at the beginning of this new year. We want to take just one message here this morning to sharpen the blade, so to speak, uh, with regard to our church's vision, our church's uh, mission. What do we want to be about as a church? What is God calling us to do as a church? And that, that, those questions could be answered in different ways. One of the ways that um, we could answer that, is to say that God calls us as a church to uh, an inward and an outward ministry. There's an inward and an outward flow uh, and dynamic to our ministry. Inward and outward. So in John thirteen thirty four, Jesus tells his disciples this, John thirteen thirty four, He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay, so love one another, care for one another, serve one another in the church. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, his people. Then John 20, 21, Jesus saying there, 
few chapters later, John 20, 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In other words, Jesus is sending us out as a church into the world to carry on his ministry, the ministry that he started. And actually, as we're moving through the book of Acts with Pastor Brett, we're getting a a flavor of what that initially looked like. But go outside the church with the ministry of Jesus to others. And so, inward, outward. And, and so for the f- sake of the, the message here today, for, for the sake of trying to sharpen the blade here, so to speak, with our vision and mission, I want to draw attention to a chapter in Hebrews. I mean, really not a whole chapter, but a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I think in this passage in Hebrews 10, we're going to see this, this inward-outward dynamic to uh, a church's ministry. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll just read a few verses there, um, verses 23 to 25. And if you don't have your Bible, um, that's okay. The words will be on the screen behind me. So this is Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And the writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Okay, so I um, just want to say something here about the context of this passage. We're, we're sort of jumping into just a few verses in a book with 13 chapters. So just a little bit here um, in the, the context here, and, and really just very little here. I just want to say that, that there are a couple um, major emphases in the book of Hebrews. And one of those emphases is that the writer is very, very insistent that his readers keep trusting in Jesus and his ministry. Persevere, in other words. Keep trusting, uh, keep holding fast to Jesus, to his ways, especially under difficulties, under hardships of life, under persecution. Keep holding fast to Jesus rather than reverting back to some other religious system, back to Judaism, especially, I think, uh, because probably the, the people who first read this book of Hebrews were largely Jewish Christians coming out of uh, a Jewish background. So especially don't revert there, but don't revert to any religious system other than Jesus himself. And so, um, you know, if, if you're feeling any pressure in your life, to sort of loosen your grip on Christ, to, to loosen up the hope that you have in Christ. Maybe, for, maybe there, you are experiencing some persecution. Maybe uh, it's just the hardships of life, and, and you're, you're tempted to doubt Christ. You're tempted to feel like there's really anything you can hope in Christ, and you're tempted to feed those doubts, just rattled by life and tempted to sort of lose hope, lose that hope that, we are, that nothing can separate us from Christ. Um, Hebrews, I just want to commend the book of Hebrews to you. Hebrews is a good book to meditate on uh, if that's where you find yourself this morning. And, and, and so coming into chapter 10 now, where our verses are, um, Hebrews chapter 10, there's a few parts of, uh, like this in Hebrews, and this is one of the parts of Hebrews where the writer really does stress that particular emphasis of holding fast to Jesus, um, exhorting his readers to trust in Jesus, especially when uh, the going gets tough for various reasons. 
So into chapter 10, and then just a few verses leading up to um, verses 23 to 25, which we'll focus on, like verse 18 to 22. We won't read from there, but I'll just kind of say what I think is going on there. In those verses, there's a lot there, actually. But the writer is essentially saying that Jesus is uh, the great priest that we need to mediate our relationship with God. And he is the great sacrifice that we need to deal with our sin. The writer, the writer is saying that because of Jesus, because Jesus sacrificed himself to die the death that really we all deserve because of our sin, because he died that death and not like an animal, a sacrificial animal, but because Jesus died that death in our place, Our sin is now atoned for. Our sin is now dealt with. It's forgiven through trust in Jesus. And now, and here's the hope, now we can come confidently into the presence of God by faith in Jesus. We can actually have a a good, positive, favored, happy relationship with God. That's open to us now because of Jesus. And in fact, God is inviting us into just that. He really wants us to be with him. He's inviting us into that. So in verse 22, the the, the writer is essentially saying, come on, be assured of that. Be confident of that. Jesus opened the way for you. Jesus is the way for you. He is faithful. Even when you're not faithful, trust that. Trust his faithfulness more than you trust your own faithfulness. Trust in his faithfulness. Come through Jesus. Come into this happy relationship with God. Come confidently, humbly, and yet confidently into the presence of God. Um, He's inviting us to that. He's saying you're clean now in Jesus. Not just forgiven of your sin, but like still have all this mud on you. But he's forgiven us of our sin and he's washed us up. He's cleaned us, and, and we can actually be free of a, of a guilty conscience because we're actually forgiven and clean from actual guilt. So we don't need to carry a guilty conscience. You are clean. You are washed. This is who you are. This is your identity because of Christ. You are a clean one. You are a washed one. You know, just a few weeks ago, if you were up here, if you were here on a Sunday morning, we had a few people that went through baptism, and it was it was great great to see. And and that's this is really what baptism symbolizes. Baptism, you 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 go in and out of the water in baptism, and you're cleaned by that. And that essentially symbolizes that you now are fundamentally clean. You're fundamentally washed, and this is who you are. As, we, as you're trusting in Jesus as your great sacrifice, as you're trusting in Jesus as your great priest. And uh, so we're, you're a forgiven one. You're an accepted one. You're an honored one. You're a respected one. You're a valued one. This is who we are, totally clean now. And those are, so those are some of the implications of those verse, verses just leading up to the focus verses here now, verses 23 to 25. So we come to those verses now. And, uh, and I think, as we look at these verses, you can, just, you can catch a glimpse, I think, of what we want to be about now as a church family. These verses give us a good little snapshot of what we want to be about as, uh, as a church fi- family in light of who God has made us to be because of Jesus. 
what God is calling us to in light of what, who we are. And, and I do want to um, emphasize just that last sentence there. Um, our, our doing what God is calling us to do, flowing out of our being, flowing out of who he has made us to, to be. Our doing flows out of our being, and it's not the other way around. Important to, to grab that. Uh, who we are compels what we do. And so God calls us to do, verses 23 to 25, in light of who he's made us to be. Again, I feel like we can't hear this enough. I can't, at least. Forgiven, clean, washed, accepted, honored, respected, valued, and we could say more. All these things from the one whose opinion matters the most in the universe, from God. And so God calls us then, that being the case, to verses 23 to 25. So let's read those verses again. Um, So verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. So, can you see the inward and the outward ministry in that passage? Can you see that? Uh, Verse 25, don't neglect to meet together. And you can probably keep that passage up on the screen for a little bit too. Don't neglect to meet together. Be together, the writer says. Be together. And, and when you're together, he says, encourage one another. Be together and, and, and give hope to one another. Comfort one another. Console one another. Urge one another on. Encourage one another. That's inward ministry. And man, that, that, we've seen a lot of that in this church family over the years. And it's, and it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, from providing meals for, for families uh, with, a, with a, a new baby, uh, for praying or uh, praying for one another, helping around the house maybe when somebody is sick, help with car repairs, um, counseling when we've bumped into some emotional trials, things like that. Th- that list could go on and on about how this church body has served one another, this inward ministry. Or another word for it, language that we use, community. This is community. This is life together, as we have uh, called it, the language that we've used. And then, can you see the outward ministry in that passage? So verse 24, stir up one another to love and good works. So be together, the writer says, and when you're together, stir up one another to love and good works. And actually, the language there for, is pretty strong in the Greek. Uh, that word stir up, that could be uh, translated as provoke. Uh, provoke one another to love and good works, sort of prod one another to love and good works. Um, one Greek dictionary says that, that, that this is to stimulate a change in motivation and attitude. To stimulate a change in motivation and attitude. Rouse one another to love and good works. That's what uh, the writer's calling us to do as we're together here. So this is, and this is outward-focused ministry. Um, now, it's not... Uh, completely outward focused. Um, uh, I, I do think the love and the good that's here certainly can be directed inwardly, inwardly to one another in the church, love and good works. But there's, there's, a, there's also an outward um, impact that that 
that that inward ministry, I think, is intended to have. It's designed to have an outward impact and application. I mean, when God calls us to, excuse me, to, to, to love one another in the church, I think he intends there to be an impact on those outside of the church. Calls us to love inside the church, and that should have an impact outside the church. So for, in John 17, for example, John 17, 21, Jesus prayed, and he's praying for his, his people, his disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And in John 13, 34 to 35, John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said this, he said, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, or if you have love for one another. And so you see this, this inward concern by Jesus for loving one another as Jesus' disciples, loving one another, uniting together. And the reason for that is so that the world may believe, so that the world will know, so that all people will know, Jesus says. So, in other words, loving one another in the church. Um, when we do that, we say something about who Jesus is as we do that. So, for example, we say that Jesus is a lover when we love one another in the church. We tell that to the world. We say something about the nature of his love for us when we love one another. So he loves us despite our weaknesses, despite our sins. And, and we say something about why he came into the world, who he is and why he came into the world as we love each other. Namely, we, we, we testify to the, to the fact that Jesus came into the world to, to collect his people, to join people into the family of God from across all backgrounds and all uh, stages of life. And we, we say things like that with our actions of loving one another as a church. The, those outside the church look in and see that, and this says something about Jesus that they might believe and know. Uh, or maybe you might think of Matthew chapter 5. Maybe this is dinging in the back of your head. Matthew 5, uh, verse 16. Jesus says, says there, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Why? So that they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And the Apostle Peter says something similar to this over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And so we want to be uh, doing good uh, in the world in a way that is seen so that God will get glory for that, so that the world may know about Jesus, about who he is, about why he came into the world, about the nature of his love. And so stir up one another to love and good works. There's very much an outward bent to that, or at the very least, uh, I think, a designed outward impact that that is intended to have. And also uh, with Peter, you consider what he says in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3.15, this is, a, 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 I think, a well-known verse to many. He says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So Peter's saying, be ready to give a reason why you hope in Jesus when people ask about that. 
You, you should be able to say why you have that hope. And probably the, why that's significant is, I think, from the First Peter context, probably the reason anybody would, would be asked why they have hope is because they're, they're seen committed to good works. They're seen committed to doing good in the world. And this catches people's attention and calls for questions. And Jesus is given as an answer. Hope in Jesus is given as an answer. And so again, stir up one another to love and good works. You see that outward ministry there uh, uh, in that passage. Love one another, do good to one another. But, very significant, let that love be seen. Let that love, let that good be seen. So we don't want to sort of isolate ourselves. We don't want to insulate ourselves. We don't want to cloister. But we want to do this good and this love in a way that we're opened up to be seen as the, the world looks in and as we invite the world in to our community. And, uh, and, and, and it's not just about opening up to be seen, but it's about actively going out. Love those outside the church. Do good to those outside of, of the church. And another word for all of this, that, we, that, that, that the language we've used, this is mission. This is mission. So this is life together on mission, as, we have, uh, as we've called it. So we're... we're uh, and we're seeing this in the church. I mean, this is beautiful. We're seeing this in Christ Redeemer Church. And it's, and it's very encouraging. It's very beautiful. Loving and doing good to those outside of the church for the sake of God's glory. It's beautiful. Serving and sharing the gospel with the homeless. Uh, serving and sharing the gospel with lonely seniors. Um, offering child care and praying and sharing Jesus with kids and families that are in broken circumstances, crises circumstances, seeking to help refugees and point them to Jesus. These are some of the examples, and, and, and more could be said, and it's absolutely beautiful. We're, we're seeing missional love and good works uh, happening among us in this church, and it's just beautiful. It's, 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 a, it's, it's the grace of God at work in us, and I'm so thankful. Um, Notice also, uh, the writer here is not just calling us to community, meet together, encourage one another. He's not just calling us to mission, stir up one another to love and good works. But notice too, verse 23, he says to hold fast the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope, okay? That's, that's another way, basically, essentially, to speak about the gospel. The, the, the confession of our hope is a reference essentially to the good news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. It's a reference to the hope that we have because of Jesus' ministry. So it's, it's this confidence that Jesus was sacrificed in our place. And, and he did that once for all. So there's absolutely nothing that we can do to deal with our sin. We can't make any more sacrifices to... Uh, clear a guilty conscience or cover up something we're ashamed of or anything. Jesus has already done it, never to be repeated. And, and if we're trusting that that's true, we're now forgiven, we're clean, we're pure, we've got full and free access to, to God. Uh, we can now enjoy an intimate relationship with God. This is the hope, this is the confession of our hope. Uh, we get the, I like to say, the three F's. We get forgiveness, and we get favor with God, and we get the promise of forever with God and his people. That's the hope. That's the confession of hope in verse 23. And so this isn't just any community. 
This isn't just any mission, but this is what we've called gospel-centered community on Jesus's mission. This is gospel-centered community on Jesus's mission. And so you can see in this passage here, I think, what we have otherwise called gospel, community, and mission. And maybe you can throw that slide up that I think has some orange in it, just to help us to see sort of the, the see it in a, in a visual form, form there. These three major values of, of our church, these three aspects of a disciple-making and a discipleship lifestyle that we have talked about for, for several years now. And here they are in this passage. So our, in our church's mission statement, we say that we aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission. Make disciples through this gospel-centered uh, community on mission by means of that. And I would, I would just call our attention to this passage to say that this is one part of Scripture, one piece of Scripture that helps to um, uh, ground that aim. It, it helps to feed that vision in that, in that goal. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Uh, make a priority of meeting together. And when we're together, encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works. This is what we want to be about as a church family. Uh, this is one way to say, uh, one way to answer that question of what do we want to be about as a church family. And I think this passage is calling for that. I think it's that we would be marked by these priorities. These priorities, again, that we've used the language of gospel, community, and mission. But you can see it here in this passage. So uh, just in light of that, then, I want to say a little bit about life groups, uh, life groups in the church here. I want to say something about them because, as as I've said, uh, well, as we've said, um, life groups really are the leading edge of the church. So as we're thinking about what we want to be about, life groups really are a leading edge to that. And, And as I've said before, Um, life groups are a context in which we have the best chance, not the only chance, but the best chance, I think, to really have the most robust experience of of these priorities and these values, gospel, community, mission, life together on mission. Life groups are a context in which we have the best chance to have the most robust experience of these values. I mean, really, our life groups are designed for this explicitly. This is like why our life group's ministry exists. It's to, said one way, essentially to provide a means by which we can be helped to essentially live out Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. That's one way we could think about it. Life, group, life groups give us a means, a tool, a way that we can make a priority of meeting together, community, where we can encourage uh, uh, one another and to encourage one another to keep holding fast to the confession of our hope, gospel, and by which we can stir up one another to love and good works, mission. And again, this is, I mean, this is what our life groups are designed for, um, specifically with the practices that we have with our life group, with the, the, um, the emphases that we have with our life groups. So our family meals, for example, they are intended to cultivate the spirit of family and the spirit of togetherness in the group and and sort of give us a structure for meeting together to help us not neglect to meet together. Uh, DNA gatherings that are a part of our life groups, that too, that's a practice that's meant to to call us to, to meeting together. And man, I think definitely in our DNAs, that is that is. Definitely and especially where we get at that encouraging one another to hold on to the hope of Jesus, to hold fast the confession 
of our hope in Jesus, reminding one another that, that we can hold on to hope because Jesus is holding on to us, to be reminded of that uh, time and time again. Jesus is faithful and he's holding on to us. And those DNA times again, I think especially just great context where we can really be safe to, to, to share and to show how much we really need that help and that encouragement. We need help to hold fast to the hope we have in Jesus. And, and so we can, we can show our weaknesses there in life group, but especially in our DNAs. We can admit our need. We can drop the facades. We can, we can confess that in a safe place that, man, I, I know I'm supposed to hope in Jesus, but I'm not feeling it. And I don't get it, and I'm, I'm not sure I don't have some doubts about really who Jesus even is, let alone is he someone I can hope in. Like, it's okay for you to share stuff like that, and DNAs are sort of designed as a space where you can be open. You can be open about your depression. You can be open about your confusion. You can be open about your doubting. Um, again, just really, as you might be struggling to hope in, in Christ. This is a place where you can be strengthened to keep trusting Jesus, to, to be revived in your hope uh, in Jesus. So gospel-centered community, that's what that's about. And more than that, also on, along with that, gospel-centered community on mission. And man, life groups, again, they're especially set up to help us with that as well to help us with mission. We want to stir up one another to mission. We want to help one another to love, help one another to do good, and to do that especially outside the church with an aim of, of helping other people to learn about Jesus and come into to, to love and trust and see Jesus as beautiful as well. So life groups are a context where we can, we can share what sort of doors, what sort of missional doors, mission doors, the Lord might be opening for us, like with people in our workspace, with our families, with our neighborhood, with, you know, at the gym, whatever it might be. What, what doors might the Lord be opening for mission? And then your life group can help you to think about that. Your life group can help you to know how to, how, how, should, how, how maybe, what's maybe the most wise way to engage those opportunities that you have. And your life group can join you in those opportunities that you have. So, for example, you're going to grab a, a drink with somebody after the workday, Maybe somebody from your life group could join you for that. Or you're going to go to the park with your, with your kids, with another mom and her kids from the neighborhood. Maybe another mom from your life group and her kids could join you. That, that could be one way that, that your life group joins together to be on mission uh, together. And you know, as we've talked about um, evangelism and mission, um, but especially just evangelism, uh, as we've talked about that over the years, um, remember that we've talked about uh, B-I-G. Okay, B-I-G. I, I think we have a slide for that, if I'm not mistaken. So B, building relationships with people that are not following Jesus. And I, for introducing or inviting people into the Christian community. And then G, for sharing the gospel. So when, when we're thinking mission, you could say, think big. Okay, think big. And and life groups are designed really to be like a go-to group of people with whom you can think big. This is like your go-to group of people that you can, uh, that can help to, 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 to make efforts toward, efforts together toward B-I-G sort of living. So this is 
a, a way of what we call missional, being missional. It's thinking big, with, uh, especially with the people in your life groups. Um, one writer says this about that. Um, it's a longer quote, so I think we've got like three different slides. But he says this. This is helpful, I think. Uh, being missional is about developing a set of rhythms of love that stand in contrast to the world around us so that the love of God might flow through the community. So notice the communal nature of this uh, engagement. Missional engagement is about connecting with neighbors, friends, co-workers, or family members in a way that allows them to see the love of God in the group. So there again, notice, I mean, you can kind of hear Jesus talking, you know, love one another and be seen loving one another, and people get to see the love of God. Uh, next part of the quote. This is, this is about the practices of having meaningful conversations, being present with people around us, making time for our neighbors, listening to what's going on in their lives, and hospitality. Being missional means demonstrating a different way of life so that people can see, so that people can see how we live and how God lives through us. So we're always wanting to point people back to Jesus, to grab the hope of Jesus. Next part of the quote here, missional community is about being love. And usually this comes in small acts that might not seem significant. But when we love over time, the small things add up together and make a huge difference. That's from a fellow named M. Scott Boren. So, so just thinking big, you know, it's the little things over time that add up. Our uh, on mission thinking big in our life groups. And for, and, and for many of our life groups, we have been able to land on what we have called a mission focus. Many of our life groups have been able to do this. And so this is the whole group sort of linking arms and, and partnering together and, and sort of focusing together, focusing our love and our good toward one sort of specific group of people with the, the aim of, of, of helping them to learn about Jesus and come to trust in um, Jesus. That's mission, gospel-centered community on mission. And again, that's what we want the whole church to be about. It doesn't matter if you're in a life group or not. This is just what we want the whole church to be about. But it's just especially what we want our life groups to be about. It's especially what our life groups help us do. Life groups are just a tool. They're a means to this greater end of life together on mission. And uh, again, I I keep saying it. I think life groups are the best chance that we have uh, uh, for the most robust experience of these of, of these priorities as a church. Uh, so in light of that, just thinking about life groups, we're going to watch a video here. Um, and this is uh, from one of our life group leaders and his wife, uh, Kevin and Mary Oswalt. Are you guys here? There's Kevin. Mary, no, I think you have a sick child at home. So, But Kevin and Mary, just you can watch this video here. They're going to share a little bit about their, um, their experiences um, uh, with, with life groups. So let's just watch this together. Uh, thank you, Kevin for, for, uh, and Mary, for taking the time to, to shoot that video. Um, just great. I hope that you saw in there just a little taste of the value of, of community uh, and, and the value of encouraging one another and uh, encouraging one another, especially with the gospel, the value of, of uh, helping one another to hold fast that confession of hope and encouraging one another on uh, in, in mission, sharing the gospel, showing love and good in light of the gospel. And 
you know, in, in all the things I've been talking about this morning, even with a video like that, it can be easy to get this sense that, wow, these life groups, oh, that's pretty amazing, and that's like the silver bullet to everything. But none of our life groups are firing like on all cylinders and are making an A-plus grade in what we're trying to do. I mean, none of them. And, and we're just, we're very much a work in progress uh, with, with our, our life groups. But we do think life groups really do provide a, a great context where we can be uh, getting after these, these, these principles and these values. And again, of course, we want the whole church to be um, engaged in these things, whether we're in a life group or not. And, that, and that's fine. We're not all in life groups. We won't always, always be in a life group at any given season. But whether we're in a life group or not, again, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, that is our aim. There's gospel, there's community, there's mission. That's our aim. Uh, make a priority of, of meeting together and, and, and encouraging one another and stirring one another up to love and good work. So, you know, just like that, that, that blade, that it, it can get dull, uh, the ax can get dull, and we might want to sharpen that up. Hopefully, the message here is, is, has helped. Uh, the, the point has just been to sort of sharpen that, that edge, so to speak, when it comes to our mission and, uh, and, uh, and our vision. And again, it, it, it doesn't matter whether you're in a, a, a life group or not. You know, just in light of who we are as, as God's people in Jesus, um, uh, people who are clean, people who are washed, people who are forgiven and accepted and honored and respected, in light of that, make a priority of being together as a church. And when you're together, encourage one another. And when you're together, stir one another up to love and good works. That's what we're aiming for. So let's pray, please. Lord, thank you for uh, the, the, the chance here to have um, uh, stirred around in, in Hebrews 10 here a little bit. Thank you for the chance to hear from Mary and Kevin. And uh, I simply ask for your blessing now on us as a church body, your, your favor and your help to pursue um, this kind of life together on mission uh, that, that, uh, that has been uh, the, the, the ground of what we're, we feel like you're calling us to as a church body. So give us strength for that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.